Well, we're going to be looking this morning, our text for the morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, you can find that printed in your bulletin or you're welcome to turn in your copy of the scriptures and read along uh, with me. I'm pretty sure that at some point in all of our lives, probably everybody in here has been involved in an Easter egg hunt at some point. Uh, some of you are probably looking forward to the Easter egg hunt that you hope is coming later this afternoon and you're hoping it, it doesn't get rained out. Uh, at, at our house, sometimes we hide the eggs so well that we have a secondary Easter egg hunt a couple of months later, which is called lawn mowing season, um, when you find them um, another way. But uh, we like to use, often we'll dye some eggs, but often we use plastic eggs as well. And we'll take those plastic eggs, I mean, if you probably do this, and we put a little treasure inside, right? Depending on how old your kids are, you put some candy in there, or a penny, or a nickel, or a quarter. And if grandma gets involved, maybe there's a $5 bill or a $10 bill. But, but there's treasure often hidden in these eggs. The thing is, though, you can't see the treasure until the egg gets split open. It's just an egg. It's just this fragile plastic egg. But there's treasure hidden in the egg. I want to suggest to you all this morning that the believer in Jesus Christ, that we are like those plastic, fragile, brittle Easter eggs. But there's great treasure inside. The thing is, though, you can't see the treasure unless the egg is cracked open. Now that sounds good. Oh, we get to see treasure, but that actually can be a quite painful process in our lives. Not a lot of fun. It can even feel a lot like death. But that cracking open of the egg is what reveals the surpassing power of God at work within us. It reveals that to the world around us. So we're going to look at this text this morning. I want us to think about three things. Um, The treasure that the believer in Jesus has inside, the way that treasure is revealed, and what keeps us going through that process. So uh, if you would, read along with me silently as I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is God's word. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body 
the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. By day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Would you pray with me? Lord God, this is your word given to us. We pray, Father, that you would help me to to, uh, apply it clearly and helpfully to our lives, uh, that you would cause us to see the risen Jesus and to rejoice in him. And we pray it in his name. Amen. So, first of all, what is this treasure that the believer in Jesus Christ has inside of him or her? What's inside the egg? Now, look at verse 4. The God of this world, who is Satan, we're told, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Why has he done that? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 6, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, we have this treasure. This treasure in jars of clay. What treasure? Well, the treasure he just talked about in verse 4, 5, and 6, it has something to do with the gospel. It has something to do with Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. It has something to do with God shining in our hearts to give the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus. Douglas Kelly has this great book on the cost and glory of Christian ministry. And this is how he describes the treasure. Jesus, the crucified and risen and exalted one, sends down his Holy Spirit to shine forth the glory of his resurrection life into the forgiven ones who will be in fellowship with him forever. This is the heavenly treasure that he has put in a clay jar, the very life of the triune God. The blissful fellowship of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now flowing down to us. In Colossians 1, Paul talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have this treasure in these eggs, this treasure in these jars of clay. The treasure is that Christ dwells within us. That Christ makes God known 
to us that Christ brings us into a relationship with the triune God. That Christ, that in Christ we're caught up into the very life of God. We know God. He's present within us. We have a relationship with Him. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us as believers, bringing us into communion with God. That's kind of a big deal. That's kind of a big deal to say that that human beings can have a relationship with the unseen creator God who made and rules all things. That's treasure. That's treasure. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ... Uh, this may be one of those places where you hear this uh, and you say, ah, you Christians, you're always claiming this special relationship with God. Like you're just better than everybody else. You just have something that nobody else can have. That you've just, you're just more moral than we are. But notice how Paul and how believers like him come into possession of this treasure. Uh, in verse 1 he says that they have this ministry of pointing others to how how to have a relationship with God by God's mercy, by the mercy of God. In other words, Paul's saying, we didn't deserve this. We didn't earn this. It came by God's mercy. And yes, Paul says, and it can sound very offensive to you if you're not in Christ, that the God of this age has blinded unbelievers so that they can't see the light of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ. But Paul's not saying that from an arrogant place. He's saying that from personal experience. Because he knew what it was like to be blind. His first reaction was the church was to persecute the church. And to stand and give approval as members of the church were murdered. He had no use for the church. But then Jesus appeared to Paul miraculously, supernaturally, and opened his eyes. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 9. Open his eyes so that he could see the truth of the gospel. And I think that's probably part of what he's getting at in verse 6. That experience is in the background. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, shone in our hearts. Shone in my heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The knowledge we have as believers is because God shone his light into the darkness of our hearts and gave, he gifted us with this knowledge of Jesus. So yes, Christians claim to have treasure. Yes, Christians claim to know God. But that knowledge and that relationship is a gift By grace, he's opened our eyes. Well, how do we then, how would one come into that relationship? What does that look like to come into this relationship with God, to receive this gift of knowing him? Uh, Let me read for you briefly from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses or sins 
against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And so, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, There's been a lot of talk in the presidential campaign about building a wall between the United States and Mexico. The message of the Bible is that because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of our rebellion against God, our our seeking to do life without reference to God, that there is actually a wall separating us from God. And you can't put a ladder up against this wall and, and climb over it with your good works. You can't tunnel under this wall by your religious observances. The only thing that can remove this wall that separates you and I from the presence of the living God is the cross of Jesus Christ. The only thing that can remove that wall is the cross of Jesus Christ coming down and destroying that wall like like Superman destroying a building when he throws Batman into it. If you've seen that yet. That the cross of Jesus Christ is what destroys the barrier that separates us from God. So that it is through faith in Jesus and what he has done on the cross that we come into this relationship with God. We can come into his presence. What is it that Jesus has done there? Well, what Jesus has done is that he has lived this life of perfect obedience to the Father and then he has died on the cross in the place where you or I should rightfully have died. He has taken the hit, as it were, for us. And so if you can imagine a record of, of all of my sin, it's given to Jesus. And he, he takes the consequences of that on the cross. And then if you can imagine a record of all Jesus' perfect obedience that is credited to me so that God sees me as righteous in Christ because of what Christ has done. We're brought into a relationship with God. He dwells within us through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you before we move on to this next point, do you have this treasure? Do you know God? This treasure, this relationship with God is offered to you this morning in the proclamation of the gospel that your sins can be forgiven that you can know God through faith in Jesus Christ. I was listening to uh, This American Life this past week, and, and there was the story of, and I can't remember all the names, but there was an, an awkward 12-year-old kid. He was, he was way into science fiction. He didn't fit in very well with his peers. He had a pretty rocky relationship with his dad, and there was this one science fiction author that he just idolized and somehow he got it in his head that if I run away from home and can live with him then everything's going to be okay and this author had never really revealed where he lived but actually in his books he had put clues to where he lived and so this 12 year old kid figured out the clues and he narrowed it down to a couple of very rural towns in Florida and 
he eventually finds this guy. The last three hours of the trip, he's riding around with somebody he doesn't know. Parents, it'll make, you want a little ner- something to make you nervous this morning. But he, he's riding around with somebody who don't know who, who helps him there to find this author living in the middle of nowhere in Florida. And the kid's dream, if I could just go and live with this guy, then everything is going to be okay. And so he comes to the author's house, and the author welcomes him. But of course he has to say to him, I'm sorry, you can't stay here. You can't stay here. You're going to have to go home. Y'all, I think some of us think, if I approach God, that's what I'm going to hear. You can't stay here. You don't have it together enough. You're, you're too messed up. You're going to have to go somewhere else. But the scriptures tells us that admitting you're messed up and grabbing hold of what Jesus has done is actually what gets you in the door. And refusing to admit that you're messed up is actually what keeps you from being able to stay. It's actually what keeps you out. So the invitation to you this morning is to bring your anxiety to Jesus and watch him begin to turn it into trust. To bring your doubt to Jesus and to watch him begin to turn it into belief. To bring your sexual brokenness to Jesus and watch him begin to reorder your loves. To bring your hurt and to watch Jesus begin to heal you heal your pain. Bring your sin to Jesus and cast it on him and he will bear it for you. He is born it at the cross and the triune God will not only welcome you, he will not only say come in and stay, he will take up residence within you and shower you with his presence and his love and his joy in a way that will radically change you forever. That's the treasure that the believer in Jesus Christ has inside. But here's the thing. How is this treasure revealed to the world around us? Or or I might ask it like this. How does the world see Jesus in me? See, the, the treasure is in an egg. It's in a plastic egg. And the treasure is seen when the egg is cracked open. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Jars of clay, in that day, something that was very common, yet something that was very fragile and easily broken. Why do we have this treasure in jars of clay? To show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. 
the cross is how we're saved. The cross is how we're saved. But the cross also establishes a pattern for our lives as believers. We die, we suffer, we struggle, we're discouraged. Cracks appear in the clay pot of our lives. But when that happens, the resurrection life of Jesus within us, the treasure in us, shines out through the cracks. So in our weakness, in our fragility, in our joy and patience and suffering that can't possibly come from us, the world sees the God who is our treasure and our hope and our sustainer. What does that look like, though? What kind of deaths does Jesus call us to die? How are we cracked open so that the world can see that this treasure uh, is from God, that this treasure is the life of God within us? I could mention several, but let me just mention three for us to think about this morning. One of the ways we're called to die is that we're called to die to self, uh, die to my dreams, die to thinking this is all about me, die to thinking life is about me getting as much goody out of it before I die. When I was a, a kid, my, my favorite sucker was a Tootsie Roll Pop. You know, how many licks does it take to get to the middle for those of you who remember that? Um, we think of life as a, as a Tootsie Roll pop. And I've got this limited amount of time to get as much goody out of it as I can before I die. And God comes in, he says, it's, it's not about you, it's about me. You were made to make me known. You were made to reflect my glory and to bring me glory and to make much of me. And that's good and that's wonderful, but that involves dying to me, and that's hard. Uh, A second way we have to die is that we have to continue to die to our own righteousness. Uh, Chris Rock once said something along the lines of uh, that all of us are really two people. We're the person that we introduce to other people, and then we're the person that we really are. We're the person that we put forward when we meet you. And then we're the person who we really are inside. We have to to die to that tendency. We have to die to that tendency of establishing our own worth and our own righteousness. But that's really hard because we've been trained to cover up the cracks, to paint over the cracks, to achieve, to achieve, to achieve. Don't let people see the cracks. Let them see how put together you are. Let them see how successful you are. Tell them you're fine, even if you're not. But Paul in Philippians 3 says that all that self-achieved righteousness was actually what was keeping him away from Jesus. It's what was keeping him away from Jesus. He said, I had to walk away from all of that in order to get him and it was completely worth it. But, you know, even as Christians who know, like in our heads, we know, yes, my righteousness comes from Jesus and not from me. It's easy to fall back into establishing our own righteousness. Establishing our own worth. Covering up our faults. 
Don't let anybody see our sin. Don't let anybody see the reality that the anxiety and the doubts and the lust and the greed and the anger still pop up in our lives a lot more than we would like to admit. In her book, Wise Blood, Flannery O'Connor says about one of her characters that there was, in him there was a deep, black, wor- wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. The way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. We don't want to be those people who really need Jesus. I know that guy and what he, he boy, he needs Jesus. We don't want to be ourselves those people who really need Jesus. Now, to be honest, that's a bit of an occupational hazard for a, for a pastor. Uh, I, I know one pastor, and he, if, if I told you who he was, he's one of the, the holiest guys you'll ever meet. He said to me one time, I can't be honest with my congregation about my sin because they wouldn't be able to handle it. They wouldn't be able to handle it. I know another well-known pastor who carries a list of besetting sins in his wallet, which I would never do, uh, but he, um, things he continues to struggle with, and he pulls those out from time to time just to kind of give himself a checkup to see how he's doing and what progress he's making in his walk with Jesus. You guys would have a really hard time if I told you about all my sin. But the truth is, you all have a hard time with your own sin. And you have a hard time owning up to the things you struggle with. You have a hard time admitting those things. And to be honest, that tendency within us really gets in the way of ministry. I heard somebody say recently that ministry is vulnerability. That ministry is vulnerability. It doesn't mean share everything with everybody. Uh, It doesn't mean share everything publicly. But when we're not vulnerable, when we're not honest about the ongoing struggle, when we cover everything up, we're covering up those very cracks in our life that the light of Jesus is meant to shine through. And we're giving people the impression that Christianity is about being good and doing the right thing and having it together, and we're good and you're not. Y'all, your children, my children, do need to see us walking with Jesus. They need to know that we love him, but they also need to know that we're sinners. People you're trying to lead to Jesus, they do need to see your good good deeds. But they also need to see some of the cracks. They need to see some of the cracks to show them that surpassing power belongs to God and not to you. To show them that this is about Jesus And not about you. We're not here to call people to morality. We're here to call people to Jesus. To Jesus. So we have to die to our own righteousness. The third way we need to die is just suffering. It's just that ordinary, sometimes it's ordinary, sometimes extraordinary suffering uh, that we all go through in this life. The part that we hate the part that when I see, I kind of want to cut out my Bible like Thomas Jefferson and say, I don't, let's just don't think about that part. But what Paul is saying is that in that suffering and in the way God sustains us in the midst of that suffering, 
the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus actually shines out through us. That our suffering is one of the ways God makes his glory known. You guys probably remember 2006, there was a gunman who took hostages uh, in an Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania. He shot 10 people. Uh, He killed five children plus himself. Within hours, within hours, members of the Amish community had visited that man's parents to express their sympathy. Within hours. At the funeral, at the gunman's funeral, half of the people who showed up were Amish. They came to show their love and support for the murderer's family. And the whole country, you may remember this, the whole country was amazed by their forgiveness and by their love. A few years later, a a group of sociologists wrote a book about what had happened there. And one of the main conclusions that they reached was that our secular culture is very unlikely to produce anything like that. It's very unlikely to produce people who can handle suffering the way that the Amish handled suffering. Cracks. Big, huge cracks. But through those cracks, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ was shining out to the world. Uh, Laura Story in her book tells the story of a, a pastor friend whose son had become a heroin addict. And he could have, but he didn't. The pastor didn't withdraw and keep it to himself. He didn't stand up in front of the congregation and, and shout it out, but instead... He formed a confidential group for parents with children going through the same thing. And it was a huge ministry to them. Cracks. Death. And through those cracks, and through that death, the light of Jesus was shining. What's your story? What's your story? What are those broken places that you're ashamed of, those broken places that you're covering, who can you share that brokenness with to reveal the light and the glory of Jesus Christ? Uh, at our new members, last new members class we had, Aaron Barber, who you know uh, suffered a stroke and uh, is still in many ways recovering from that, told us about, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, uh, it's a Japanese word, kintsugi. And here's what that is, according to Wikipedia, which we can all trust. Uh, kintsugi is the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery with liqueur dusted or mixed with powdered gold, silver, or platinum. It treats breakage and repair as part of the history of the object rather than something to disguise. It treats breakage and repair as part of the history of the object rather than something to disguise. Part of your beauty, part of my beauty, is that we are broken. But as God sustains us and heals us, the light of Jesus shines out 
through that brokenness and the glory of God in Christ is seen. Now, that all sounds, I guess, kind of cool, a little bit poetic that God does that, but the reality is it's really hard, right? Uh, You read the Psalms and it's people who are just kind of like, oh, this is hard, I don't get it, God, where are you? So, how do we have patience during these trials, during this death to self? How do we persevere? How do we maintain love and, and even have joy? Well, look at verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. <clears throat> for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How do we persevere with patience and with joy? It's because Jesus was raised from the dead on Easter morning, and we know that our Father will raise us too. It's because people come to know Jesus through the trials that we go through. It's because our inner self is being renewed even as our outer self is wasting away. It's because this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's because it all results in glory to God. It's because God is rewiring my heart to see and delight in something much more solid and valuable and beautiful than the transient things that I try so unsuccessfully to find joy and delight in every day. He's rewiring our hearts so that more and more we see his beauty and delight in his glory. That's what sustains us. I want to close by reading you something briefly. This is from Tim Keller's book on suffering. And this is the, this is the very end of the book very end of the book, he says this, We sing that song, Christ the Lord is risen today. And the last line of the last stanza is, Made like him, like him we rise, ours the cross, the grave, the skies. What does that mean? It's almost like a taunt. It's like saying, come on crosses, the lower you lay me, the higher you will raise me. Come on grave, kill me, and all you will do is make me better than before. If the death of Jesus Christ happened for us and he bore our hopelessness so that now we can have hope, and if the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened, then even the worst things will turn into the best things, and the greatest are yet to come. There have not been many times in my life when I felt the peace that passes understanding, but there was one time for which I am very grateful, and it stemmed from this great Christian hope. It was just before my cancer surgery. 
My thyroid was about to be removed, and after that I faced a treatment with radioactive iodine to destroy any residual cancerous thyroid tissue in my body. Of course, my whole family and I were shaken by it and deeply anxious. On the morning of my surgery, after I said my goodbyes to my wife and sons, I was wheeled into a room to be prepped. And in the moments before they gave me the anesthetic, I prayed. To my surprise, I got a sudden, clear, new perspective on everything. It seemed to me that the universe was an enormous realm of joy, mirth, and high beauty. Of course it was. Didn't the triune God make it to be filled with his own boundless joy, wisdom, love, and delight? And within this great globe of glory was only one little speck of darkness, our world, where there was temporarily pain and suffering. But it was only one speck. And soon that speck would fade away and everything would be light. And I thought, it doesn't really matter how the surgery goes. Everything will be all right. Me, my wife, my children, my church will all be all right. I went to sleep with a bright peace on my heart. What about you? What about you? Can you go to sleep tonight with a vision of God's beauty? Can you go to sleep tonight with a bright peace in your heart? You can if you believe in Jesus. You can because of Easter. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I pray that you would be opening blind eyes. I pray that we would see the glory of God in your face. I pray that we would know the joy of experienced life with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, I give you thanks for this treasure within us. I pray that you would sustain us as we are cracked and beaten and discouraged. I pray that you would sustain us with joy and that this treasure within us would shine out and that others would know you, the source of this treasure, and that others would see your glory and be brought into relationship with you through the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, would you sustain us in suffering and would you keep our eyes on what is unseen? Would you help us to remember and to believe that because Christ is raised, if we are connected to him by faith, we will be raised as well. Help us to know this and believe it and to bank everything on it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.